If we haven't met, my name is Paul. It's a privilege to open up God's Word uh, each week here at Southern Mount Brother Bridge. And we're looking at Ephesians uh, chapter 1. It's on page 827 in the, the Bible's end of the pews. Um, here at Southern Mount Church, we're actually trying to encourage people to, to bring their own Bibles to church. Um, one of the reasons for that is that often when you hear a sermon, uh, the preacher might say something, you think, oh yeah, and you want to just write it down and imagine your Bibles to be reminded of that. Uh, if you like taking notes, maybe bring your own notepad um, and make notes in your own notepads. But we've, we've got Bibles at the end of the pews, but uh, trying to just create a culture where you bring your own Bibles, bring your own notepads, you can write in your Bibles and write in your notepads. When I pray, and then we'll look at God's Word. Our Father, we want to thank you uh, for the scriptures which are preserved for us, translated for us. They're so rich, uh, they are sweeter than honey they are so sharp and living and active Father forgive us for times when we approach your word uh, lacklusterly or not expecting you to speak Father you, you do speak by your spirit and through your word and pray that you would do a great work in each one of us tonight for Jesus sake Amen I want you to imagine You've come to Saturday Night Church and uh, over the coffee time you've been chatting to somebody, uh, you're a Christian, they're a Christian and after about five minutes of conversation you've been sharing a bit with each other and the person turns to you and says, how about we just take five minutes and just pray together? And they just bow their head and say, dear God, thank you so much for this opportunity to chat, thank you that you've saved this person, do pray for them, etc, etc. Or come with me to a Friday night and you're having a dinner party, uh, say six feet from church, and at the end of the night, the host says, before we go, let's, let's just pray together. And they stop and they bow their heads and say, dear God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you that you've made us one in Christ and thank you that you've loved us and pray that we'd know you better. There's a mission spot in church and you hear about the, the Powells um, in Ecuador or the Brownings and the Bennetts in Ethiopia or Alyssa Yule uh, in Nepal and the person who stands at the front shares lots of information and then someone stands in the pew and says let's just pray Father thank you so much that you've saved the Bennetts and the Brownings and Alyssa and the Powells and we do pray that you'd keep them and they'd know Jesus better how often do we do that? I think we're really good at sharing information but not so good at actually just praying with each other. I think we're really good at talking and really good at chatting but just to stand next to another Christian and take a couple of minutes and just praying with them. I think about my Christian life and prayer is one thing which, which I find really hard. I'm kind of, if you know me, I'm a fairly sort of task-driven person. I like my list of things to do, and I can tick off the things that I do, but how often do I actually stop and just pray? See, up here, I understand prayer. And up here, I know the necessity of prayer. And I know that it works, and I know that God longs to hear me pray, and I, lo- I know that prayer changes things, and I know that when I pray I get closer to my God, but how often do I actually just stop 
and faith. Just think about, if you're a Christian here tonight, think about your prayer life. Who do you pray for? Who do you pray for? What kind of things do you pray for those people? They're the kind of things we're going to look at tonight. Just to set this, this passage in this context, Paul is in prison in Rome. When you, when you think prison, please don't think a silver water jail with a nice cell and a bed and a TV and a gym maybe and they get to do some exercise. But when you think prison, think dirty, dungeon, cold, uh, there'd be water on the floor, there'd be rats running around. And Paul would be naked, just laid bare, chained to a wall. That's the kind of conditions that he, he's in when he writes this letter. He's writing from prison, and he, hear, he hears about this church in Ephesus, the Christians in Ephesus. Now what's Paul going to do when he hears about those Christians? Is he going to think about himself and his conditions? Is he going to whinge? Is he going to moan and think, woe is me? Let's read verses 15 onwards and find out what Paul does for these Christians. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which God has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, Jesus, to be head over everything for the church, which is his, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way see what Paul does is that he he looks beyond his circumstances and he looks to, to a God in heaven who he calls the glorious father the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and he looks beyond the circumstances and he says I've got a God in heaven who, who longs for me to pray and longs for me to talk to him and so that's what he does he prays and he thanks God. Verse 15, for this reason, that's looking back to what we looked at last week, for all the reasons that we saw last week in verses 3 to 14, for the reason that, that God has chosen him and, and adopted him and redeemed him and forgiven him and given him the Holy Spirit to live in him, for all those reasons, he prays. And he approaches God with absolute confidence. Let me say this. Knowing the God that you pray to will radically transform your prayer life. 
knowing the God that you pray to will radically transform your prayer life. I've got a, a good friend who is CEO of quite a big company here in Sydney. He's a Christian man and he was in a, a board meeting uh, with all the boards and his five-year-old son came into the office one day and just ran straight into the board meeting room went straight to his dad and sat on his dad's lap and this CEO stopped the meeting and talked to his son and said, what do you want? and just spent a few moments talking to him and he did that because he knew that his dad loved him and actually that he was precious to him and we can do that with God, we can go to him as our father because he knows us and we're precious to him and he longs for us to pray so what should we pray for and why should we pray these things? Firstly tonight, a passion for people. Paul had an utter passion for people. See, what gets Paul going is, is not buildings, it's not programs, it's not strategy, it's people. Look at verse 15. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I haven't stopped giving thanks for you. He's heard about their faith in Jesus, that's their trust in Jesus, they believed in Jesus, they turned to the Lord Jesus and said, I believe he died on the cross for me. But notice how he describes the Christians. It's not just surface Christianity, is it? I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, and what does that faith lead to? Verse 15, someone tell me, what does that faith lead to? love for the saints you see these Christian people don't just believe facts about Jesus they don't just believe in a cross and a resurrection and ascension and a return believing those things actually transforms the way they relate to each other who do they love? verse 15 your love for which saints? all the saints they don't just love the people that they like they don't just love the people who they find it easy to get on with at church they don't just love the people who you know, hang around the same buildings and do the same things and look pretty cool they love all the saints that's the mark that you've really believed in Christ it transforms the way that you love other people and when Paul hears about this when he hears that these Christians in Ephesus they have faith and they have love, what does he do? Verse 16, I have not stopped day and night giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. He actually stops and he actually spends time praising God and thanking God for those brothers and for those sisters. Let me say, when you start praying for your brothers and sisters, that changes your attitude towards them completely when you can stop and give thanks for somebody that will change your attitude towards them just try it maybe before you come to church next Saturday maybe just stop and think about the people your brothers and sisters who belong to this church family and as you're walking down the street just say thank you God for Nikki that you've saved her and that you love her thank you God for Mike that you've saved him that you love him thank you God for Haley that you've saved her and that you love her etc etc and when you walk into the church building you see these people and you've given thanks for them and you've prayed for them that will change your attitude towards them see when I list people I'm quick 
to spot the negatives. I'm slow to give thanks. And yet Paul models giving thanks, praising God that in Christ they are brothers and sisters and they've been redeemed and forgiven and chosen and adopted as well. Passion for people. Secondly, a, a passion for, for prayer. The question we've got to grapple with is how should we pray and what should we pray for? Please note that Paul doesn't pray for fresh blessings. You know, some Christians they just pray for nothing but fresh blessings we've been reminded last week that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus he doesn't just pray for material things like health and jobs and you know there's endless Bible studies where you just pray for work, work, work he doesn't pray for that every time what does he pray for these people? I think he prays for two things he prays for a better knowledge of God and better spiritual vision Look at verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know God better. You may know God better. It's just really, top of the list is, is a deeper understanding of, of the God that you know and the God that you worship. It's really the same thing that Paul prayed for when he said, I want to know Christ in Philippians chapter I want to know him better and better and better I want a deeper knowledge of God I want a richer knowledge of God I want to know the intricate details about God and his character and his makeup I want to know him better and better and better you all know that I love the Queen guess how many bulgars I've got of the Queen on my bookshelf at home seven advanced on seven I've got eight. Eight bargains of the Queen. I, I love the Queen. I know all these facts about her. It's funny, when, I'm, when I said a, a few months ago I talked about biographies and, and three people bought me new, new biographies after that sermon, it was great. So, um, I love the Queen and I know lots of facts about her. But I don't really know her. So I've never met her. Long to meet her. And until she actually shares information about herself, then I can't really know her. The word used in verse, verse 17 for know, when he says that you may know God better, is actually a really intimate word. It's the same word for Adam knew Eve. Back in Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 2, sorry. It's the intimate marriage word, the union word. You can't get much more intimate than husband and wife. And he says, I pray that you'd have that depth of intimacy with God do you, do you ever pray that for yourself that you, that you would know God better our world says you must know yourself better and the Bible says the way that you know yourself better is by knowing God better do you ever pray for your brothers and sisters not just for their work not just for their health but actually that they would deepen and enrich their knowledge of God let me say right here, right now, that if you're not in Christ, if you haven't actually put your faith in Christ and trusted in his death on the cross for you and his resurrection and his second coming, you can't pray. You can talk to somebody who's out there, a higher being, but you can't pray in that intimate way with God as your Heavenly Father. And I'm pleading you to come and put your trust in Christ so you have that privilege of praying. 
But I do wonder whether we actually pray for ourselves that we would know God better. Let me ask you, do you feel that you know God well enough? We all know the right answer is no. Of course you don't know God well enough. So do you ever stop and pray? Lord, as I open the scriptures, I pray that you would illuminate this by your spirit so that I just get a a much deeper understanding of of how big you are, how majestic you are, how, how gracious you are, how righteous you are. Do you ever stop and pray when you come to church? Lord, I pray that tonight as I, as I sit with God's people and I hear your word and I sing your praises and we pray to you, I pray, Lord, that tonight you would take me deeper and deeper into you. Or are you just satisfied? Satisfied with where you're at with God? I think that Many of us as Christians think that we, we're just sorted. We've got our job sorted, we've got our relationships sorted, we've got our house sorted, and yeah, I've got God sorted. And there's so much more of God to know, and so much depth of God to plumb. But we just don't pray, we don't ask God to know Him better. That's what Paul prayed for. If you pray for me, if you pray for people in your connect groups, if you pray for your brothers and sisters, please, please, don't just pray for our health and our jobs. Pray for our knowledge of God, that it would deepen and deepen and deepen. Now that would transform this church. A better knowledge of God and a better spiritual vision. That's in verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which God has called you uh, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe uh, the, the word of the, for the heart in verse 18 is literally your, your will or your mind I pray that the eyes of your mind may be enlightened again it's the illumination word see we don't need more sermons here We've got enough, enough sermon. We need actually an enlightenment as the word goes out. We don't need more information. We've got enough information. What we need is our eyes to be enlightened. Our hearts to be enlightened so that we actually see more clearly. What does the Spirit want us to see down in verse 18? He wants us to see the hope, the riches and the power. That you may know the hope to which God has called you. The hope of sharing in a new heaven and a new earth. The, the certainty that you're going to stand with Christ. Listen to how John puts it. Dear friends, this is 1 John 3, verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, Jesus appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in Christ purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, I need my eyes to be taken off this world and and onto my hope, onto my certainty. Because my eyes are are filled every day with millions and millions of bits of information. 
whether it's internet, whether it's newspapers, whether it's TV, whether it's friends, and I've been bombarded with the information telling me that, that this world is all there is. And I need my eyes enlightened as through the scriptures that actually that I have a hope in heaven. That this is not my home, that heaven is my home. Will you pray for each other that our eyes will be fixed on our hope, not just on this world? What about the riches of his glorious inheritance? The riches is that I am actually God's inheritance. Literally it says, the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the sense. We are God's inheritance. And I need my eyes enlightened to understand more that I am God's inheritance. A person, he's going to be with him for eternity. Now that's going to change the way I live, knowing that I'm his inheritance. And then thirdly, his power. Verse 19. Look at the words for power in verse 19. His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. Do you see that? That power. The word power is, is like dynamite. It's raw power. It's raw strength. Uh, the working in verse 19 is the energy word, the inward power. The mighty strength is at his conquering power. That you might see and understand and experience the full riches of God's power in you. What, what's the most powerful thing you've ever experienced or imagined? If you've been on the, the beach on Boxing Day when that tsunami hit, that's pretty powerful. You cannot stand against that power, could you? If you'd been in Wales when that mudslide happened, you would not stand the power of that and yet, what is the power that God has placed in us? In you. Look at the verse with me. That power is like the, the working of his mighty strength which God exerted in Christ when he raised Christ from the dead. See, I think when we think of God's power, I, I think we think back to creation, the power that flung stars into space. That is pretty powerful. I think we think of the cross, the power to save, that's pretty powerful. But the power to raise a dead man and take him through death and bring him back to life, that is powerful. And a power to, to raise a man and to ascend him to heaven and seat him at the right hand of the Father, that is powerful. And according to the scriptures, that power is at work in you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you. And what Paul prays for these Christians is that they may see and know that power. We've got it. But we just don't pray that we would see more of it. I think we limit God. We, we know he can do anything. And we say that he can do anything. But we don't really pray for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters that we would see and understand the depth of his power. Now, I, as, a, as a pom, when I came to Australia, I used to think that I was um, pretty good at, at barbecuing in the UK. Um, you've got these barbecue with charcoals and you just stick the meat on and it's black on the outside, absolutely black on the outside and uncooked on the inside. Perfect barbecue. When I came, I uh, was helping out with a youth group up at St. Thomas's. We went to a place called Clontarf. 
and we had a barbecue at Clontarf. It's one of those sort of gas barbecues, and I thought, yeah, I could barbecue this. And so I got the barbecue out, and I put all the sausages on the barbecue, and I fixed up the gas bottle, and I turned it on, and I pressed the button to ignite the barbecue, and absolutely nothing happened. I thought, I can, I can fix this. And so I was fiddling around, trying to work out what was wrong with it, and one of my dear Aussie friends came over and just said, oh, you seem to turn the gas bottle on. And I think that's like some of us as Christians. We've got it all fixed up. You know, we know the facts about Jesus. We know we've got the Spirit living in us. We've got it all set up. But we just don't switch it on. And that's the power of prayer. That you pray that God would enlighten your eyes so you actually experience the full power of God, the same power that raised Christ from the dead in you. I think what Paul prays for is deep spiritual things. A deeper knowledge of God, a greater understanding of where we're heading, the hope, a greater understanding of, of the riches of our inheritance, and a greater understanding of God's power. And if you're like me, you just pray for material things. And I'm challenging us as a church this Saturday that we would stop this week and we'd pray for each other and we thank God for each other and we pray that as we open the scriptures that we would be filled with, with a deeper knowledge of God and we'd have our eyes lifted off this world to our hope and we'd understand the, the immense power that can and is longing to work in us to transform us and to transform this world now why does Paul pray that? As I close, he, he prays that because he understands that Jesus Christ is his Lord and the Lord of the universe. As see, Christ, verse 20, has been raised, he's been seated far above every rule and authority. Verse 22, and God placed all things under Christ's feet. Everything is under Christ's feet. He is our head. And he's appointed Christ to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. See, the church is the body of Christ. And according to verse 23, the church is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Uh, just like the, the bridegroom without the bride is incomplete, and the vine without the branches is incomplete. So, so, so Christ without his church, this, this is his chosen way of demonstrating his power and demonstrating his salvation through us, through the church. And once you've understood that Jesus Christ is head over everything and Lord over everything, and he's Lord over this church, that will change the way that you pray. Because you won't just pray for material things. But you'll pray for Christ to be honoured. And you, you pray for people to submit to Christ. And you'll pray that this church will be a Christ-centred church. And you'll pray that each other would know Christ better. And you'd understand the fullness of, of knowing Christ. Wouldn't it be great if, at the end of tonight, you just went up to somebody and you said, let's just pray together. Thank you God for Megan and for what you've done in her life. Pray that she'd know you better. Etc, etc. Please stop this week thinking about your prayer life and pray for each other. Knowing God better, better spiritual vision because Jesus Christ is our Lord.
ก็นิสัยUm, it's because the church came into being through the, the death and resurrection of Christ. So the church is made of a people who are trusting in Christ. And so that's the sense in which He is the head. Um, so within within the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Spirit, yes, sure, there's still that submission within the Godhead. But when Christ looks at His church, it's His church because He He bought His church, He won His church. We belong to Christ. That's the sense of headship that we belong to Him. So we pray to the Father because of Christ by the Spirit. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So we can only pray to the Father because of Jesus, because of His death, because He's a, He's the one who gives us access to the Father. Yeah. Yeah. We'll chat about that. That'd be great. Thanks, Karen. Any other questions on Ephesians one? Please feel free. To oh, yeah, okay, Ben.
that's massive. Thanks, Ben. I'm going to pray and give thanks for that. I'm going to sing again. Our Father, I want to thank you for answering our prayers. You are so kind and so gracious. Thank you, Father, for this small step uh, in reconciliation between Ben's brother and his dad. Uh, Lord, we do pray that you would help them to be fully reconciled. And we pray that through this they might know Christ and know him better. We ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen.